Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. And today, I'm I want to be talking about the Strength Through Joy program, uh, the Kraft der Freude, um, which was the, the official Nazi state uh, leisure activities um, network in the 1930s. I think there are a number of interesting things to be said about the KDF. Normally, when you have an exam on the subject, you'll get a question asking you really um, to what extent did the Nazis win over the German people and the KDF is a, a thing you know to, to mention as one of your points. But I think there's there's more to it than that. Um, and the fact that um, a uh, ideology and leisure time are intimately connected is really, really interesting. There are very, there are clear um, counterparts uh, in the Soviet Union to the KDF, but also if you look at the rest of the democratic world, um, you look at, at Britain, leisure time and the regimentation of leisure time and in enjoyment um, and um, mass uh, excursions and exercise and all the things that were meant to be kind of uh, physically and culturally and intellectually uplifting for the individual became a, a key part of, of um, public and private life throughout the 1930s. The growth of um, holiday camps, even places as seemingly innocent as Butlins, um, became you know, a, an integral uh, part of the, kind of the, the, the social history um, of the uh, interwar years. Not that Nazi Germany um, had a culture of a of, of kind of like a mass leisure organisation, and that was ultimately to further Nazi kind of social and racial policies is in this regard kind of unsurprising. So um, the uh, question of what to do with with uh, new leisure time, which um, had been available really to uh, the, the workers across the advanced industrialised world since um, the end of the First World War with new innovations and uh, technology, technologies and that sort of thing, it was a pertinent one. Um, the time was fast coming when uh, the working classes of most European countries would be able to have affordable foreign travel. This is obviously a thing that really... Uh, takes off in the 50s and 60s and the 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 package tour um is uh, symptomatic of the recovery of western europe uh, in that period of time but there's evidence of um moves to mass uh, package travel 
in the 1930s, and particularly with the KDF, um, tours to sympathetic countries, places for example such as Spain, and um, cruises to um, parts of the, the, the Baltic world which were um, sympathetic towards Germany. Again, um, shows that uh, widening, uh, there, there was a kind of a widening appetite amongst the working classes for these kinds of experiences. Now, obviously, uh, one of the main uh, reasons for creating the KDF, as far as uh, Hitler was concerned, was to build his notion of Volksgemeinschaft, of a people's community. Travel was meant to be the a new luxury, and a new, and leisure activities were meant to be a new luxury for the working man, but something that he could share with people he had perceived to be his social betters up until that point. There were attempts to make the um, bus tours, uh, chalets and accommodation, and dormitories and uh, cruise ships classless and to mix the working classes and middle classes in together. Obviously, it goes without saying that uh, these kind of enforced this enforced classlessness really doesn't uh, doesn't take off, and the uh, people with more money simply pay a bit more so that they can avoid the people they consider to be their social inferiors. And the people who are you know, German working-class families tended not really to want to bother with people they considered to look down upon them. So, I mean, class is, in so many societies, uh, such an ingrained and organic and structural thing that simply um, mixing everyone together and hoping for the best really doesn't tend to uh, go deep enough into uh, addressing these, these sorts of issues. Obviously what Hitler's not trying to create is the kind of socialist classlessness that supposedly exists to the East. He's trying to create a kind of a more racial uh, unity, a sense that irrespective of one's social standing, irrespective of one's pay packet or one's postcode where one lives, one can consider oneself um, German... <coughs> above all things, first and foremost. And there was never any serious attempt to resolve any kind of uh, social inequality in the Third Reich. There was simply an attempt to convince the working classes that these divisive divisions that socialism and the trade unions had created throughout the 1930s um, were really the kind of thing that had made Germany weak and that these sorts of things needed to be put behind one. And one simply needed to focus on a sense of Germanicness, of Germanness, uh, above all things. Easy to say when you are not the person on the low income with the uh, cramped accommodation. So, if the KDF failed really to create a, a social um, a kind of homogenised uh, society. Did it succeed in Hitler's other role of indoctrination? Well, the working classes, uh, particularly um, who were a demographic within Nazi Germany, who were not necessarily inclined towards Nazism, and generally more inclined towards the Nazis' opponents, uh, the SPD and KPD, the working classes were very much sold on the idea uh, that Nazi Germany was now working for them, that it was a um, a government that was providing material gains and advantages. The only problem with this is that uh, in from up until rearmament, real wages continue to go down. 
there may have been more work, but there's no more money being pumped into the system and there is constant, constant gnawing away at living standards of inflation. So whilst there may be cheap holidays, what there isn't, for example, is the ability to collectively bargain, the ability to strike or the ability to withdraw labour in any way in order to compensate, in order to put pressure on, uh, on, to, on uh, the business community to deal with wages in the face of mounting inflation. So cheap holidays were kind of window dressing, really, compared to this fundamental issue. And here is... <coughs> For some commentators, the reason why the KDF was seen as being important by Hitler is easier to offer cheap holidays than it is to, uh, A, allow potentially damaging pay rises that would lead it to an inflationary spiral, or B, to pander to working class interests, which would then simply uh, give the clear impression that Hitler's war against the left and his attempt to destroy socialism had fundamentally failed. Most KDF holidays had one predictably tedious aspect to them. The uh, Nazi party guide stroke commissar who would go with the uh, tour group and periodically in interrupt their fun and give them lectures on matters of national socialism. And there are plenty of anecdotal reports which suggest that most people edited these um, probably quite tedious speeches out. The last thing, if you're on a, a nice trip to sunny Spain, that you want to do uh, is to listen to somebody talking about politics, probably of, of any persuasion. It's not, it wasn't, it shouldn't be seen as a, an act of active resistance of people actively objecting to Nazi ideology more of a kind of a, a, a passive apathy. And one of, the, one of the ways of looking at Nazi Germany that I think is, is very interesting at the moment and being pioneered on, um, by a number of, of excellent um, history writers, people like uh, Roger Morehouse, for example, is the fact that there, there was more than a little um, apatheticness from uh, ordinary um, ordinary people in the Third Reich, and more than a little disinterest, and, uh, and more than a little uh, sense that, well, as, as long as we've got some degree of stability, that's, that's fine, but uh, not the kind of engagement with Nazi ideology that people like Joseph Goebbels would have hoped for. Um, Richard J. Evans writes in uh, The Third Reich in Power uh, about this idea that uh, Goebbels was hoping for this absolute total revolution where uh, there would be no part of the individual life or consciousness that wouldn't be reached by Nazism on some level and that there would be no passive bystanders, there would be no people who would reluctantly shrug and think, well, pff, I suppose I'll have to go along with it. Uh, that there would be active participation from everybody. Now, if that was the, the view, if that was the Nazi revolution that Goebbels prayed for and hoped for, well, it's, it never fully arrives. Instead, I would say that there is a, a small core of um, uh, committed activists and a majority of the nation who really make the best of um, quite trying times, muddle along through the middle and 
probably try to stay out of politics as much as possible. It's not to say that there aren't nice things on offer from time to time, and that when there are, such as nice holidays and uh, trips to resorts and that kind of thing, that people aren't pleased with them, grateful for them, or, in, or enjoy them. They certainly do. But this, the extent to which those people go on to become committed Nazis is, is probably quite limited, as you would expect. There, is, uh, there are probably more effective ways of indoctrinating people, and it would seem that the, the Nazi use of education certainly was that more effective way. The people who went on KDF holidays seem by and large to have selected the things they enjoy from them and discarded the rest. But isn't that what most people are like on holiday? Um, anyway, uh, I hope this has been uh, an interesting, shorter little podcast today. Um, there'll be some more things on Nazi Germany probably later in the week. If you are doing your exams this week, if you're doing your exams in the next few weeks, skip back through some of the podcasts. There's some great ex- um, exam advice specifically for you guys. And um, good luck as well. Thanks very much. And I'll be recording a couple of other things in the next day or so. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.